Would you pray with me while you remain standing? God, we approach you with humility today, asking that you would teach us. We are clueless. We need you desperately. We hunger and we thirst for your righteousness. And so God, as we approach the story of Jacob today, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would open our minds and open our hearts and get rid of all distractions and help us to focus on what it is that you're going to speak to us today. And it's in Jesus' holy name that we pray these things. And amen. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is also Josh. It's a Josh kind of day. Um, I am one of the relatively new pastors here at Veritas and will be serving as the lead pastor in our plant of a congregation on the east side of Columbus. And That's right. Those are all the east siders you hear. And hopefully more people, I don't know. Uh, more updates and info to come on that. Just watch your, watch your bulletin. Uh, for now, just let me beg you, plead with you, pray, pray for us. Pray as if it makes a difference in how we're going to plant over there as we plan, as we prepare, as we search for the right locations, as we learn the community. I ask you, as even if you're not planning on attending, uh, pray for us as, as we um, prepare. So I thank you in advance. Uh, as we look at uh, Jacob's dream today, I, I, have, to, I have to confess, my, uh, my dreams are pretty boring. Uh, not, my, not my lifelong dreams and visions and stuff like that, but my dreams that when I'm sleeping, they're, they're not really that exciting. They're, they're usually, I, I have several, several themes that I tend to repeat, and uh, being stressed or overworked, uh, feeling unprepared, and maybe feeling worried about the future, the the, the emotions in those dreams are easily traceable to stuff I'm processing during the day. And even the elements, if something weird pops up like a horse or something, I'm like, ah, I saw a horse today. That's right. It, it, always easily traceable. And so it, unless I have spicy or rich food right before bed, which then they get really crazy and it's, we won't talk about those. But otherwise, they're, they're super boring. And they're just, they're just processing of my emotions. What we look at today, however, is not the case for Jacob. This is not just a mere processing of things that he's going through or things that he's feeling, but it's, it's what we would call a theophany, a step of, of God into his world. Uh, it, it's God communicating to Jacob. And this is actually the first time this has happened for Jacob. Uh, we followed him for, for a few weeks now, but this is his, his first encounter with, with the one true God. This is, this is new for him. This is, this is God stepping into his world for the first time. And what seems to be so important is that it's, it's apart from any of Jacob's scheming. It's apart from, he, he didn't trick God into God coming down to give him this dream, to give him this vision. But this was just a, 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 a reaching out of God. Uh, the first couple of verses that Emily read gave us the, the setting for this. Uh, I want a quick review. We've been going through Genesis for, for a, a few months now, and we've been here, here lately uh, tracing the, the, the line of Christ through what we would typically call the patriarchs. Uh, there was first Abraham and, and then his son Isaac, and, and now that line has been passed, as we'll see today, it's continuing to be passed to uh, Jacob. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, uh, Jacob has 
manipulated his older brother, slightly older brother, but much bigger brother, out of his birthright and now stolen his blessing. Uh, where we left them last week was uh, Rebecca, Jacob's mother, saying, hey, look, this all worked, our plan worked, but Esau is really ticked and he's planning on killing you. So, so Rebecca says, you got to get out of here. Uh, go to, to Padam, Iran, and go to Haran, where, where my family's from, and, and find yourself a wife there. And, and I pray I'll see you again, but there's a good chance I won't. Uh, part of the scripture at the beginning of this chapter that we didn't read is Isaac basically saying the same thing uh, to, to Jacob, giving him a farewell, saying, go to this area. So, so Jacob is now on this journey. Uh, this is, is back to, to where Abraham basically came from, probably tracing the steps that, that Abraham came in reverse around the Fertile Crescent back up to, to where he came from. And it, it's about a 550-mile trip, so it'd be like us uh, feeling the need to make a journey to New York City by foot. I mean, it is not a short trip. I actually Googled that, and you know how on Google you can put the, the walking directions uh, I put in the walking directions, and according to Google, it would take you about two weeks to, to, to walk to New York City from here, uh, about the same distance that, that Jacob traveled. Unfortunately, though, because of ancient roads and a lot of the terrain, this trip would have taken Jacob about two months, or I'm sorry, a month, and he's about two days, maybe three days into the journey. So if we started our walk down US 40, uh, this, he, he's just kind of uh, chilling out around Zanesville right now. He just kind of no, a nondescript town. Sorry if you're from Zanesville. But uh, nothing special about the area. He, he's just kind of there and, and hanging out and, and resting for the night. But more than his, his physical situation, it's important to understand the emotional and mental state that Jacob is in here. Consider the fact this is the first time he's ever left home. Th this is new for him. I don't think it's too far, I don't think it's an exaggeration to call Jacob a mama's boy that was pampered and spoiled at home, didn't really have to work for much, and now here he is on a journey all alone. Add to that the fact that um, his parting words with his older brother uh, were, well, there were no parting words, it was, your brother wants to kill you, <laughs> leave. And so throughout this, this journey thus far, and probably uh, from here on out, unless he accepts the promises from God that we're going to see today, he's been looking over his shoulder. Every bump in, in, the, in the night or, or noise he hears along the road, is that Esau? A bunch of his friends coming to, to finally end my life? Add to that the fact that it's nighttime, and this is the ancient world. This is not some hotel in Zanesville. This is on the side of the road. Laying, laying down in the, middle, in the middle of nowhere. I mean, blanket of stars, yes, but no light. Um, wild animals, robbers, anything. I mean, he is exposed. He is literally in the dark. So he's fearful. He's uncertain. And, and the, the, the text that we read actually makes a point to say the sun had set. And so often in Scripture, that's an image of distress, of separation, of fear, especially when contrasted to a sunrise, which is a symbol of, of joy and, 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 and worship, which actually you see later in this story as well. So the, the mental state of Jacob is he's, he's fearful. He's uncertain. He's questioning, what, where am I going? What's going to happen when I get there? Uh, what, what's it going to be like? Am I, am I going to even make it there? Am I going to die? Am I even going to survive through the night? 
Before we even start and get into some principles that we can learn and things like this, I want you to already begin applying this to your life. Because I know there's more of a handful of us in here who could relate to what Jacob's going through here. It might not be a journey back to your extended family to pick a wife from one of your cousins. Let's hope that's not the case. <laughs> but it is a journey on your way to an uncertain destination, a, a question mark. And, and, and you've probably got a lot of fear. You've probably got a, a, a lot of uncertainty. And you're probably pretty doggone tired, which Jacob would have had to been to use a rock for a pillow. I mean, that's, that's not easy to do. He had to been exhausted. And, and there's a good chance that some of us in here today are just exhausted with the uncertainty, with the questions. It is my belief, my contention, that Jacob's vision can speak to that uncertainty in our lives just like it did Jacob's. Let's take a look at that vision. The first, uh, the first content of it we see is, the, is that analogy that we're going to unpack today, this idea of a ladder. Uh, he sees this, this ladder on, uh, extending down to, to earth, and, and the Hebrew actually there says resting on earth, and angels are going up and down it, and scholars argue about what this must have looked like. You know, was, it a, was it a ladder, or was it a, a stairway to heaven, if you will? Um, quite frankly, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what it looks like. It, it, what matters is what it symbolizes, uh, two things I want to point out that, uh, of the, the symbology of this ladder. Uh, first and foremost, it, it, this vision, this dream that he had symbolizes access. Access to God. I want you to kind of try to erase everything you know about this story, what you know about the Old Testament, what you know about the New Testament, and, and, and just kind of back off and put yourself back in the place of Jacob. What he's seeing here is not just some stairway. What he's seeing is a portal to another dimension. It, it, it's God that he doesn't really know that well he, and, and probably just puts him slightly above the, the pagan gods of his culture. In fact, we saw that last week as he's fooling his father Isaac and Isaac says, how did you, how did you find this game so fast? That was a quick hunt. And in lying, Jacob says, oh, well, your God allowed me success. Jacob does not connect with this God. So as he's, as he's laying there, as he's dreaming, th this is a vision um, from, from a God that he kind of knows because of his father and grandfather, but, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge metaphysical, supernatural type thing that's happening. And one of those things is that it's a gateway. It provides access this is in a culture that, that craved this access to, to something greater than themselves. Uh, think back to the, the story we studied on the uh, Tower of Babel. They, they're, they're attempting to either A, reach God, or B, become gods themselves. It, it's this idea of reaching up into the heavens for God. And, and instead of, 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 of a ladder extending from earth, Jacob sees one coming from heaven, a stairway from heaven because, the, like I said earlier, the Hebrew says it's resting on the earth. It's not from the earth. It, it's resting on the earth. It's from God. This is symbolic of access, and this question is still a question in our culture today. Now, we, it, there, there's people all around us that might not acknowledge God, uh, Yahweh, as the, as the one true God, but they, they, they can't help but fight the feeling that there's something greater. In fact, that might be some of you today. 
that, that that's kind of where you are. You're just kind of here. You're not really a, a Christ worshiper. You're not united with Christ. You're, you're, you're still exploring this whole thing. But you recognize the fact that there's something greater in life. And, and so your, your heart's desire is to pursue that thing, to reach for that thing, whatever it may be. If you study other world religions, this is the common theme in almost all other world religions. It's man reaching up for God, nirvana, different state of mind, peace, love, whatever that greater thing is. And so Jacob, even in this setting, is having a dream that, that is not about man reaching for God, but God granting access to man through a stairway, through a ladder. First and foremost, this is a picture of access. We crave that access to God our Father. You even see, you even see uh, this, this kind of thing in, in Esau, which, in another part of the passage just before the verses we read, is Esau seeing that, that uh, Isaac approved of Jacob and going to get a, a wife from his extended family. So uh, Esau sees that and sees that, that Isaac does not approve of his Canaanite wife. So what does he go and do? He goes and marries uh, someone from Isaac's half-brother, Ishmael. He marries an Ishmaelite. He says, oh, that's how you get your father's approval. You go and you marry someone from your father's family. Totally mistaken. Totally misled. It further differentiates between the, the child of the, uh, of the blessing here and the child of the curse. But Esau's attitude is one that we still have today. I want so desperately my father, my heavenly father's approval. I want access to his blessing. The ladder symbolizes that access. The second thing the ladder symbolizes is God's presence. So it's not just access to heaven, but angels are going up and down. And throughout scripture, those angels communicate, they guard, they protect, they send messages from God. It, it symbolizes God's activity on earth. So it's not just a transcendent God that Jacob sees, but it's also an imminent God that Jacob sees. It, 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 it's both access and presence. Both are symbolized by this ladder. That, that means that basically what God is communicating to Jacob is, I am present and active on this earth. And that means you, in your present struggle, laying in the dark on a, on a, on a rock, fearful of your own family, questioning the uncertainty and, and, the, and the, the future that, that is, is coming, I am present and active here in this place. That ladder symbolizes both access into heaven to God, that, that greater thing that, that we as humans, image bearers, naturally reach for, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, and also God's presence in and among us, his activity. So what is that ladder? The ladder is the fulfillment of the promise you're about to read. Let's take a look at that promise. Read it again. Starting in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it, it being the ladder, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Does this all sound familiar to you? This is almost identical to the blessing given to his grandfather, Abraham. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. First and foremost, what we see here is an extension of the Abrahamic covenant. We see Jacob becoming that third patriarch that's mentioned throughout Scripture. You know, from here on out, uh, the, uh, uh, it, God refers to himself, God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's becoming that, that third patriarch, that third pillar of the foundation. Boy, he's not acting like it quite yet, but, but he's becoming that, that person, and God is working on him. So the first and most important thing we see is that extension. The second thing we see is, is, is when we step back into Jacob's place and we consider the emotional turmoil he's going through. It's a promise to be active in Jacob's life. Safety, protection. I will be there for you. I, I, I'm not going to leave you until I have fulfilled this promise. I mean, imagine what Jacob's going through here. Uncertain future, fearful of what would happen. Literally in the dark. And in this vision, God begins to speak. Can you imagine what he thought was about to come out of God's mouth? I mean, I would have felt fear. Like, okay, here it comes. I'm going to get hammered for uh, manipulating my blind father and stealing my brother's blessing. I have sinned against a God that I now see is holy, and here it comes. I'm in trouble. And yet, what a picture of grace we get here. That's not what happens. That's not what happens at all. Quite the opposite happens. God says this blessing is now yours. The blessing that your father Isaac gave you wasn't just a human blessing. I am active. You are chosen. You are mine. And as a result, I will protect you. I will care for you. I will provide for you. You will be safe. I know you're in the dark now, Jacob, but trust me. Gosh, isn't that what Jacob had to hear right then? I mean, how that must have felt for him. But most importantly for us, discussed a couple aspects of this promise, but most important for us is the, the line where God says, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is one of those times where you have to allow yourself to step back and go, hmm, I'm actually mentioned in the Bible. Because you know what? You, it, that, that all families of the earth, you're one of those. <laughs> you, you fall under that heading. God is talking about you. You are blessed through Jacob's line here. So this gives us a clue as to what this vision could mean. It gives us a clue as to what this ladder is, what this stairway is. What, what is it now that gives us access to God? What is it that demonstrates God's presence on earth? Who is it that does those things and is in the line of Jacob? Answers, what is that ladder? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is that ladder. He is what demonstrates God's presence. He is that access. Jacob is having a vision about God bringing redemption to humankind. Wow, what a heavy dream. I don't think he completely gets it. But we, on this side of everything that's happened, can look back and go, wow, 
I see what's happening. I, Jesus is that ladder. Both the symbolism and the promise point squarely to Christ. He is God's presence. He is our access to God. We try to reach God on our own, but He provides a ladder for us. Look at how Jesus um, introduces himself to Nathaniel in John chapter 1. Nathaniel was one of his uh, 12 disciples that he called. And as he's calling Nathaniel, as Nathaniel is approaching Jesus, Jesus goes, ah, here comes a true Israelite. And Nathaniel goes, hold on, we've never met. How do you know me? He goes, Nathaniel, I saw you at the fig tree sitting there this morning before you were even called. Nathaniel goes, you are the Messiah. And Jesus is like, really? That convinces you? <laughs> that, was, that was nothing, you know? You're going to see so much more than that. And one of the things that Nathaniel will see, Jesus mentions in verse 51. Look at it on your screen there. John 1, 51. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He said to a, a good Israelite that knew his scriptures, I am the ladder your ancestor dreamed of. I am that access. I am that presence. Jesus said that about himself. Jesus is the ladder that Jacob is dreaming of. No one shall come to the Father except through him. We can try to reach God all we want, but Christ is the only stairway, the only ladder. I want you to realize how unique of a message this is in today's world. This is one that gets lost in all the good works, in all the try harder. It gets lost that God provides this. This is not something man does. Uh, band a lot of you might remember, but most of you don't know, Huey Lewis and the News. And I'm, gonna, I'm about to put a song in your head, and you're going to hate me for it. <laughs> uh, wrote a song called Jacob's Ladder. And if you, if you look at the lyrics, you can listen to them if you want, but it'll get, it's an earworm. It'll get stuck. He talks about the need for Jacob's Ladder to be something we climb just step by step. The lyrics of the song say, you know, that, that, that I hope tomorrow I can be better than today. That that's how we climb. That's how we get access to heaven. One step at a time, step by step. Wrong by, I'm trying so hard not to break into song. <laughs> we climb Jacob's ladder through our own self-effort. Now, quick, quick aside. If you want to be a good preacher, try to find a cultural reference that's more recent than 1986 especially when most of your audience wasn't even born yet. <laughs> but back to the message, <laughs> I digress. The, the culture that we live in, even today, almost 30 years later after that, that was pinned, still has the same mindset. Try a little harder. Be a little better. Be the best you you can be. We have that idea that what grants us access is our self-effort. God's presence is in us. And while, yes, Christ calls us the light of the world, it's Christ that's providing the illumination, not me and you. Access does not come through our self-effort. And I cannot hammer this enough. This is a unique message that needs to be heard 
by, by Buddhists, by Muslims, by atheists who are, are, might be something greater, there might not. I don't really care. It, it's, it's a message that it's not about us reaching to God. It's about God providing a ladder for us. It's a unique message. Don't think for a second that it isn't. Even when we come to Christ, often we, we default to this setting of, okay, now I have to earn my salvation. No, you don't. Jacob here is receiving this vision. May I remind you, Jacob is a conniving twerp. He's a cheat. He's a liar. He's a snake. And God says, you're my chosen. This has nothing to do with Jacob earning it. Nothing to do with his self-effort. Jesus is the ladder. No one shall come to the Father except through him. Let me get back to this application idea of, of maybe you're on this spiritual journey. What are you trusting in? Is this a spiritual journey back to God for you that, that relies on you making the right decisions, you making the right choices, you finding the right gurus with which to study finding that just the right information that might trigger something that, that changes in your life. May I encourage you and inform you that that ladder falls short. You will not reach God on that stairway. It is only through the one that God provides that we gain access to God. We then reach a read of uh, Jacob's response. So we've seen this ladder. We understand this ladder now. And, and we understand this promise that has been given to, to Jacob, this budding pa patriarch. And then Jacob awakes. Let's, let's read it again, verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for an altar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. I'm going to give you, I'm just going to be honest. I have no idea what to make of this response. <laughs> It's, it's weird. It's a strange response. It doesn't feel all that holy. It feels a little skeptical. Definitely conditional. And so we look at this response and we go, what's going on here? Is this an example for us to follow? Or is it just a further maturing of Jacob's character as he comes to a deeper understanding of who God is and who he is in God? I would make the case for that. That is Jacob coming to a deeper understanding that this isn't all something we should necessarily follow. Let's, let's unpack it just a little as we see Jacob is a work in progress. First, he, he appropriately responds with all. And perhaps this is an example we can learn from. He, he is awestruck by the fact of, of, of what he's seen and the fact that God is, is, is present and providing access. 
Let me ask you, as we come to worship today and we celebrate that very ladder that Jacob saw in the person of Jesus Christ, do we respond with awe? Or do we go, I've heard this story. We talked about it last week and the week before that and the week before that. Please do not let familiarity with this story breed contempt because it's an amazing story. God's redemptive story of bringing us back to him, his presence, his access should be met with awe. Not thoughts of what might be for lunch or a certain soccer match that might be happening. Not our plans for the week, not our fears from last week, but awe at the promise that's been given and fulfilled in this ladder, this stairway. As we worship, this is, the, this is where I would say follow this young man's example and worship with all and understand what this means for God to reach down to us. Jacob goes on to rename this location from the name Luz to Bethel, which translated would mean house of God. Why he says, sets up this stone and says, okay, this stone is going to be the house of God. Now this Bethel becomes a, a central location for Israelite worship from, from here on. A, a, a location of, of God. But I, in my opinion, this is where the misunderstanding kind of, Jacob's not quite there yet. Because what did God tell him? Wherever you go, I am there. This is, this is even part of that that has to be corrected uh, thousands of years later with the woman at the well when Jesus sits there and goes, a day is coming where it doesn't matter where you are. You can worship in Columbus, Ohio. It doesn't matter because God is everywhere and everyone has access to him through this ladder. So Jacob has a slight misunderstanding on, on, the, on the location here. God is not just in one location. Jacob also seems quite a bit skeptical, doesn't he? He, he makes a vow, but it's so heavily conditional because he says, if. Now, I want you to see how this is a, uh, a reversal of the, the traditional pattern of covenant giving. Typically, it is the greater giving the conditions to the lesser. We see that when God gave the, first gave the covenant to Abraham. If you do this, I will do this. Same thing was passed on to Isaac. And look what Jacob does. He turns it around and says, okay, God, if you do those things, then you can be my God. If you protect me, if you provide for me, if you bring me back to this land, then I will let you be my God. What a, what a tool. <laughs> I mean, he's just, this guy's a piece of work. I mean, this is, imagine, I, I can't help but think uh, one of my daughters doing this. I, I imagine Hannah for some reason, because I could see her doing this. She's my eldest. And me sitting her down and saying, honey, I know you're not perfect, but, God, but daddy loves you anyway. Mommy and daddy, we both love you. And here's our promise to you. As, as, as long as you're here in our protection, you're going to have clothes. You're going to have food to eat. We will find you something. We will grow you something. I will kill you something. We will find you something to eat. And as long as you're in this house, 
I will do the best of my ability as your father to protect you. I will make sure our home is secure. And should anyone attack you, I will defend you even to death. Because you are my child. Imagine her then going, hmm, sounds pretty good. Tell you what. If you give me clothes, if you give me food, and if indeed you protect me, I will let you be my mom and dad. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> I mean, that must be the same attitude that God's got here when he's looking at Jacob. Really? That's, what, that's how you're going to respond to this? And so that's why I say I think we see Jacob as a work in progress here. This is not Jacob completely understanding who God is and who he is in God. This is, is not necessarily the conversion of Jacob, but it, it, it's a continually working on Jacob of, of God reaching out to Jacob in spite of who Jacob is. A, a reaching out and, and Jacob's slowly coming to that understanding. One, one more response he has here as a part of this vow he, he promises to give a tenth of everything back to God, which on its surface, if you're not familiar with the habit of tithing, can also seem a little shady. Okay, God, everything you give me, I'll give you a tenth. How do you like those numbers? <laughs> Wait a second, that doesn't, math doesn't really work there. But it's that idea of, of giving back. And so is this a good thing or not? I would make a case, a little bit of both. It's a step in the right direction. Uh, first, it is someone who his whole life has been a taker, becoming a giver. It's a recognition of who those gifts are coming from. This is, this is Jacob slowly learning who Yahweh actually is. He doesn't have the scriptures me and you had to sit down and read. This is him understanding. So it's a taker becoming a giver. However, this is only a start. This is only a start. In fact, even as we look at the principle of tithing in light of the New Testament and everything Christ has taught, so, so often we, especially us Americans, see tithing as a goal to reach. I would argue that it's a baby step and it's the floor. It's, it's the beginning understanding of who God is because what does Christ command? What does Christ require of us? He doesn't require 10%. He requires 100 it's a giving over to God of yourself as the offering. That God, where whatever I have, uh, whoever I am to become, wherever I am, how I act, all of these things are yours. That's the offering required of us in Christ as we continue to mature. Are any, anybody there yet? I'm not. I'm still working on it. I'm still trying. Do I want to be there? Amen. I do. I want to give it all to God. Total surrender. And we strive for that. Jacob is a work in progress, much like us. And yet he takes this baby step of responding with an offering, with generosity, with an understanding of who it is that's going to give him these things. What a, what a journey Jacob's on. This is the only glimpse of this trip that we see. But it's an amazing glimpse of just a picture of what he's got of not just his future, 
but the future of, of redemptive history, of, of, of humanity's call back to God. What started as a journey to escape his brother's wrath and find a wife has become something so much greater. I mean, think about that. When Jacob set out just a few days earlier, he wasn't looking for God. He, he didn't. He was looking for a wife and trying to escape his brother. But yet God found him. Don't we get that backwards sometimes? We say, I found God. No, God found you. God reached out to you. God chose you. God said, you're one of mine. And so we struggle with this understanding of, of, of our journey being something that, that we control the destination, when in reality, it's God who steps into our world. Perhaps you're on that similar journey. I think I would make the case that all of us are in some way. And so let me offer a few follow-up steps as a result of this, this picture from Jacob's life. First, realize that God is going to find you even when you're not searching for him. And that could be the case for some of you today. You came against your will, <laughs> invited by a friend, bribed by a family member. And yet God shows you a picture of a ladder through his word. And you come to a deeper understanding. That's how God works. God will find us even when we're running in the opposite direction. Scripture is filled with examples. Second, understand that ladder. Come to Christ. Understand that your self-effort, your religion is going to fall short. It's only in Christ that we can gain access to God. God's presence, God is with us, Emmanuel. It's only through Christ that we come back to the Father. I pray that if you're here today without Christ, that today is the day you finally go, you know what? Why, do I, why am I doing this? This is stupid. I'm surrendering. God, this, my life is yours. Uh, a third possibility is to realize that you are a work in progress. Just as we look at Jacob and you struggle with, with uncertainty or a, a lack of, of perfection, know that you're a work in progress. God is continuing to work on you. And he loves you and he's promised that he'll be there for you. Has he, has he promised that life will be easy? No. In fact, spoiler alert, Jacob's about to be manipulated for the next 20 years while uh, he, he tries to get a wife. Life is not going to be easy for him. This is not a journey, an easy journey he's setting out on. And that brings me to the next one. Even in spite of that uncertainty, bask in God's promises. Maybe that's a step today that life is filled with so much uncertainty for you that you just need to hear, God is with you. God is there. God is present. God is active in your life. Bask in his promises in the midst of that uncertainty. It makes them a lot more meaningful. And then finally, may we respond today to this promise, to this ladder, this picture, with awe and generosity. In fact, that transitions well to something we practice every single week, communion and offering. 
communion, this, this bread and this cup picture uh, Christ's atoning sacrifice for us. As his body was broken, there's your access. Without that, there is none. As we take communion today, I encourage you to do it with some awe. Some understanding that this is, this is a pretty big deal. It's not just something we happened to do last week too. But something that is, that is meaningful in redemptive history. Feel the weight of glory. And then I encourage you to also respond with giving. As you, as you continue to grow in generosity and understanding of from where your gifts come. And you give back to God. And then, of course, if you do not have Christ in your life today, if that's something, someone that you've continued to reject and continue to try to do on your own, I invite you to, rather than worrying about the, the offering or communion, take Christ. Take Christ today.